What is good, everybody? I hope y'all are having a great week. We're about to just hop straight into this. We are making so much headway in John chapter 5. A quick little announcement, I guess you could say. Um, This will probably be the last episode of the podcast for a couple weeks. It's looking like uh, Baby Boy is going to be popping anytime soon. So, yeah. (laughs) Be praying for us. Uh, We're praying that he comes out happy and healthy and that mama is as well. But we're going to hop into this, man. Uh, We are in John chapter 5. We are continuing on in verse 9, going all the way down into verse 18. We are absolutely moving forward here. And this one is, uh, this one's actually a really interesting topic. This is a topic that a lot of people kind of talk about and cover, even, even really non- involved and non-religious Christians really like this topic and idea of like, you know, love over law and, you know, not being religious, right? They they don't want to be religious people. They just want to love Jesus. And so often you hear these statements from people because the idea of religion or being religious is often tied with being overbearing, um, having a bunch of nonsensical rules. But actually, that couldn't be farther from the truth. And the funny thing is, is that at least in our day and age, like I had pointed out, religion has this really negative connotation. You hear so many Christians that say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not religious, right? (laughs) I follow Jesus, but I'm not religious because they have associated a lot of the kind of legalistic and extra biblical teachings and traditions as what religion is. But we see from even the scripture that we're told to be religious. We're told to have our religion and to be proud of it and to actively pursue it. Look at what James says at the very end of the first chapter in James. It says this starting in verse 26. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So what is it saying, right? That for any of us who who claims to be religious, who claims to follow God, but we just let our tongue go crazy, saying a bunch of foolish, stupid things, uh, wrong things, things out of anger, things that are incorrect, this means that our religion is worthless, right? We're, we're, we're not actually acting out the things that we say we believe. But in verse 27, look at what James says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So being religious and being a religious person is not only Uh, not something that we should be trying to not be. It's something that we should actively be working towards. We should try and be as religious as possible. But with this caveat, we have to understand what it means to be religious. If we're talking about following out tenets that are man-made, that are extra-biblical, that go beyond Scripture, that's not what James is talking about here. Actually, we're told time and time again, to not do those things as we're going to cover as we go through John today. But in fact, 
our religious actions are to be that of what Jesus has just taught us to do time and time again. Take care of the orphans. Take care of the widows. Take care of those who are in most need in our community and to keep yourself unstained from the world. So yes, being religious does not only involve helping those in need, but it also involves not living in sin, not being evil, choosing to clothe yourself in the light and righteousness that Jesus offers and rejecting the darkness that the world offers. We are absolutely called to be religious. But when it comes to being religious, it is focused on doing actions that Jesus has explicitly told us to do. Now, the reason why I bring this up is the passage that we're going to read today, we're going to see the exact opposite of what James just told us. We're going to see religious people, religious leaders, who are persecuting on the basis of their religious man-made traditions that go far beyond what Scripture taught us when it comes to how we should act out our religious beliefs. And so this is where we start in John chapter 5, starting back in verse 9, going all the way down to verse 18. We're just going to read through this whole passage, and then we're just going to break this down like we always do. So Jesus healed this man at the the pool on the Sabbath day, right? This man was crippled for 30 plus years, paralyzed, and Jesus heals him. So let's start in verse 9. So Jesus healed him, and at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the, in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so a quick rundown of what just happened here. You had this man who has been sitting by this pool that was said to heal people at certain times in the day when the water got stirred up. And if you stepped in the water, you, you got healed of your infirmities. And this man was, had been there for 38 years, unable to move, unable to walk. He was sick. And Jesus comes along and he heals him. Now it just so happens that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, you were not allowed to work. This was something that ha has been instantiated from before, which we'll get into. And so when this, this man who was healed comes to the Jews, right? And, and the Jews here in context is talking about the, the religious leaders, right? The, the Jewish religious leaders. 
And he comes to them and says, yo, I've been healed. And they say, uh, who, who did that, right? Who healed you? Because now they have a problem. Because under their law, it was considered working to simply take up your bed and walk. That was considered work. That was considered unlawful. And the consequences for that are not little. They're very big consequences. And so he says, man, I don't know. But then Jesus rolls up and says, you know, hey, you're well. Don't sin anymore, right? And let's keep on moving. And they found out that it was Jesus who healed the man. And they didn't like that because he healed him on the Sabbath and they considered that work. So this is where we, we get into this idea of what it means to actually be religious and religion. This, this is where a lot of Christians and a lot of people will say, ah, see, being religious is bad. Religion, bad. Being religious, bad. You shouldn't be religious because what we see, these Jewish leaders and the Pharisees and blah, 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 what they're doing is bad. It's extra man-made law, so therefore being religious is not a good thing. But we first need to, to break down why it was a bad thing for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. Before we can understand a proper religion and properly being religious, we need to understand what they're mad about, right? Why is Jesus healing on the Sabbath seen as a bad thing? Well, for one thing, we have to understand the Sabbath and how the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all these people, how they interpreted and thus applied the Sabbath law. And this all starts with the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. So if you go to Exodus 20 and verse 8 through 11, this is where we see the Sabbath being instituted as a law for Israel. In verse 8 of Exodus 20, God says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right. So notice how the Sabbath calls on the people of Israel to get all their work done during the six days leading up to the Sabbath, then on the seventh day to abstain from their work, right? The Sabbath day is holy, and it's a blessing. It's meant to give the people of Israel a dedicated day of rest. You're done working. You've done all your work for the week. On the seventh day, stop working. Take a moment to just chill and rest, right? If if you were just reading this for the first time, let's say you're in our modern context. You've never heard of the Sabbath. You have no idea what it is, and you're reading this for the first time. What would most likely come to your mind? Would You'd probably think of something analogous with your work, your job, right? Many of us may have jobs where we have like our work email on our phone, or we have like a work laptop that we take home right, when we're off or to on, on days that we may work from home. And so on all the days that you work, you're constantly working, right? You work your full shift. 
And then on your days off, there may be some of you who still might whip open that work laptop and say, "Ah, I'm going to try and get some things done today. I'm going to check my work email. I'm going to go out and do this. Or if you work on a farm, right? You work six hard days a week. You're taking care of your animals. You're taking, tending to your crops. You're doing all of these things. And then on the day that you would normally take off, you say, ah, you know what? I just want to get some things done. I'm just going to keep working and keep working. If you were just to read the Sabbath with no other context known, you would think, oh, this just means that I need to, on my actual days off, they need to actually be days off. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to look at my work laptop. I'm not going to try and get caught up on things or, uh, you know, work ahead. I'm not going to check my work email. I'm not going to go out and do any extra things for the animals because they're already taken care of. I'm not going to try and get ahead on bailing hay because it's, you know, it can wait another day. I'm just going to sit here and rest. No more work. And I would argue, and Jesus would even argue, that that is the proper understanding. But I want to dive deeper into the impetus for why the Sabbath is being uh, commanded for the people of Israel, right? Because God reminds us in Exodus 20 that he made the heavens and the earth in six days, but then on the seventh day, he rested after creation was complete. And so let's look back at that seventh day of creation back in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So Genesis 2 verse 1 through 3 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Okay, so look, God rests on the seventh day because his work in creation was complete. He did all that he needed to do during the six days of creation, and therefore the seventh day was a day of rest. Now, God tells Moses to give this additional commentary on the Sabbath law that we saw in the Ten Commandments, and we see this uh, extra commentary in Exodus chapter 23, verse 12, and it says this, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So we get some clarity behind the purpose of the Sabbath, right? The, The purpose of the Sabbath is that the rest is intentional. God wants his people and their servants, their workers, their animals to be able to have a day to rest and be refreshed. Notice that that last part is very important, that they may be refreshed. The whole purpose of the Sabbath, especially with this additional commentary that we get, is that the Sabbath was given to the people so that they have a day to be rejuvenated, to be refreshed. You don't have time to be refreshed if you are working every single day, day after day. You need a day for not just you, but for even your animals, if you are putting them to work, to sit there and rest, get refueled, and be refreshed. Right? The idea here being, especially at this time of 
humanity when manual labor was far more strenuous. You would be slaving away six days a week to provide. Taking care of your animals, taking care of crops, doing all these things, walking down to get water, you know, doing what you can to get food. The processes for all these things were far more strenuous than what we have to experience today, right? You'd be working in the fields, doing what you need to do to survive and provide. And you do all of that six days a week. But on the seventh day, you are to stop working so that you can be refreshed and enjoy the fruits of your labor. Now, this next Sabbath command gets us into the realm where the Pharisees lived, right? Where, where their strict guidelines to what constitutes work on the Sabbath and where they had no regard for individual circumstances. Exodus 35, verse 2 through 3, let's read. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Okay, so we see two important things here, right? This is the first time we're seeing that if you break the Sabbath, if you work on the Sabbath, you shall be put to death. And this is because God really, really, really wants his people to take a freaking day off. <laughs> That's what he wants. He wants it so bad that if you disobey, for the Israelites, it's punishable by death. Now, with our understanding of work that we've come to understand just by what we've read so far, right? You, you work on a field, that's your, that's your duty, and you're working hard six days a week, and you're working even a little extra hard to make sure that you have enough for your animals and for you so that you can take a day off and not have to worry about working. And you get to the seventh day, you're supposed to rest. But let's say you don't. Let's say you go, ah, I don't need to rest. I'm fine. I'm just going to keep working hard. This command says, uh, no. Actually, no, you're not going to do that because God really wants you to take that day off. You've earned it. You've worked hard. You need to take that day off. And for the Israelites, if they didn't, they should be put to death. This is how, this is how important taking this day off is to God. And so it gives an example, right? In verse 3, you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Right? We get this specific example. It's an interesting one of kindling a fire. And this prohibition for even the most devout Jews today remains in place. I want to read what the pulpit commentary says regarding this verse because uh, it helps us get a better idea of how this was, uh, how this was interpreted at that time. It says this, The kindling of fire in early times involved considerable labor. It was ordinarily affected by rubbing two sticks together or twisting one round rapidly between the two palms in a depression upon a board. Fire only came after a long time. Moreover, as in the warm climate of Arabia and Palestine, artificial warmth was not needed. Fire could only have been kindled there for cooking purposes, which involved further unnecessary work and had already been forbidden back in Exodus 16, verse 23. 
he goes on to mention, the Karite Jews still maintain the observance of this precept to the letter, even in cold climates, as in that of the Crimea, and allowed neither fire nor light in their houses on the Sabbath day, end quote. Okay, so just to, to give you an idea of what he's trying to point out here. When, when we look at this verse in our modern context, right, we say, you shall not kindle a fire in all your dwelling. This kind of seems silly, right? It doesn't seem like, like work to us. Because remember, the Sabbath prohibition is for work, like actual work that you have to keep on to survive, right? And this here says, you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling. For us, this seems silly. Because for me to start a fire, it literally takes no work, right? For me to start a fire today, I can just go to the store and buy a log that will just instantly turn into flames and I can just light a match or click on a lighter and there's my fire. It takes no, absolutely no work. It, it takes more work for me to go to the bathroom if I have an upset stomach than it does to kindle a fire in our day and age. But at this time, for, for the people of Israel, ancient times, we're talking thousands and thousands of years ago, they didn't have fire starters and things like that. Like the commentary points out, in order for them to start a fire, it was manual labor. If you want to have an idea of how they had to start fires, go on YouTube and look up like uh, starting a fire with sticks, like manual fire starting in the wilderness. It's not easy. You got to find some good sticks and you are rubbing them together rapidly, hoping to get some friction to start a flame. It actually was considerable labor. But also what's important here is the context of the time and the place that this command is being given. It's being given to Israelites who are in the Middle East where artificial warmth was not needed. So the only reason why they would be kindling a fire would be for cooking purposes, which would have been unnecessary work. You had six days to go ahead and prepare food so that on the seventh day, you don't have to sit here and labor over rubbing sticks together for Lord knows how long to start a fire because you had six days to go ahead and prepare for that. That's the point of this command. Now, it's the view of many that this prohibition to starting fires is not a universal prohibition for all times and all conditions, but a temporary condition for the Jews in the wilderness at that time. And this was a unique time where God was interfacing and providing for them in ways that differ than what we see after they exit the wilderness. And when it comes to how we are to interpret and apply this prohibition to starting a fire today, this is where we get this split between those who believe, like the Pharisees, the, the kind of religious view that many reject today, and those who believe like Jesus. Because this command can be taken two ways. It can be taken in the strictest of terms, where if it's the Sabbath, and you're in a climate where it's freezing temperatures, and if you do not find warmth, you and your family will die, even then, you are to simply suffer and die of cold because if you're hyper-religious on this command and you consider this work in all contexts for all times, then you're not allowed to start a fire on the Sabbath. Or it can be taken 
in a sense of abstaining from unnecessary work that can be put off until the Sabbath has ended. Like a situation where you want to start up a fire to bake some bread or cook some food, and it's not a life or death situation. Now, the Pharisees went down road number one. They took these things to be in the strictest way possible. And this led to them crafting rules of what was considered work on the Sabbath. And we see this laid out in the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is a written down collection of rabbinic oral traditions dating back before the time of Jesus. And it was fully written down around the third century AD. So these were the traditions and teachings that the Jewish leaders that are questioning the man who was healed and questioning Jesus, these are the traditions and teachings that they would have been following. Now, to us, this is going to seem absolutely ridiculous. And I would argue that even to Jesus, these traditions seemed absolutely ridiculous. But let's take a look, right? This is what the Mishnah lists as what is considered work on the Sabbath, right? What is considered uh, punishable by death if you do this on the Sabbath? And this is in the Mishnah Shabbat 7 verse 2. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, winnowing, separating fit from unfit crops, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, washing it, beating it, dyeing it, spinning it, weaving it, making two loops, weaving two threads, separating two threads, tying, untying, sewing two stitches, tearing in order to sew two stitches, trapping a deer, slaughtering it, flaying its skin, salting its flesh, curing its hide, scraping its hide, cutting it up, writing two letters, erasing two letters in order to write two letters, building, tearing down, extinguishing a flame, kindling a flame, beating with a hammer, and moving from one domain to another. Okay, <laughs> um, these things were considered as work by the Pharisees. Now, some of these, I have to admit, reasonable, right? Like this, this would fall under work on the Sabbath, right? Plowing your field, doing field work, right? Baking and cooking and washing clothes, all of these things, this is manual labor that can be put off until the next day. But for some of these things, it's clear that they interpret work to encompass things that go beyond the scope of manual labor, right? Things like erasing two letters, writing two letters, weaving two threads, extinguishing a flame. What happens if your house is on fire? The, the, the one with the letters is really funny because I just imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there on the Sabbath day. You know, this is at a time where there's no television, no things like that. And you're just wanting to, you know, be joyful with your spouse. And so you have a little piece of paper or whatever you would write with back then. And you just write, hi. <laughs> and, and that would be considered work that you should be killed for. Um, as you can tell, the, the problem with the pharisaical expansion of what is considered work is that if writing or erasing two letters is considered work, I can name tons of examples 
that would be more physically demanding and laborious and time-consuming than making loops of thread and crocheting or writing the word hi to my wife, as is mentioned here in the Mishnah. It's more physically demanding and far more work for me to change my kid's diaper or to lift my child in the air and hold them or to pick up my dog's poop if he poops in the house and we don't want to have to sit there and smell it and be around bacteria and feces for the entire Sabbath day. It's far more physically demanding for me to play with my kids and exert energy. All of these things are far more laborious and involve more physical work than simply writing and erasing two letters. And this is where the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the time, and the Mishnah go wrong, is that they were so focused on enforcing the Sabbath command that they completely missed the purpose for the Sabbath in the first place. This is the purpose of the Sabbath. Jesus lays this out for us perfectly in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He says to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus sums this up perfectly. The entire purpose of God giving the Sabbath was to give people a dedicated day to rest from their weekly work. Just as we read in Exodus 23. The reason why the Sabbath command was to be enforced was to ensure that people take a break from their work and get some rest, to not overwork themselves, but also to not overwork the rest of their family and any servants and animals that they had. You know, when I think of this, I think of my grandma. My grandma's turning 80. She is so hospitable by nature and wants to always feed us and clean up afterwards, uh, you know, when we come over for a great meal that she makes. And oftentimes, after we're done eating one of her meals, we have to be like, yo, grandma, sit down. <laughs> like, like, quit working. You're 80 years old. You're, you're working. You just cooked us a great meal. You wanted to, you know, get all the plates and, and forks and all that out. And now that we're done, you want to, you know, do the dishes and clean up and, and throw away the trash. And we're just like, Grandma, we got the cleanup. Sit down. Quit your work. Rest. So when she finally listens and sits down and rests, in her moments of rest, she may want to crochet or build Lincoln Logs with the grandkids and play. This is how she rests, and these are activities that she enjoys doing, and it helps her rest from her work that she just did preparing a great meal. We don't walk over to her and say, Grandma, no crocheting, no playing with your grandchildren. Go sit down in your chair and don't move. <laughs> because the purpose of the rest was for her to quit working in the kitchen. And she considers playing with her grandchildren or crocheting, or reading a book, or, or writing out a letter. She considers that rest. That's not work for her. That's something that she enjoys doing in, in the meantime. So with this understanding of the Sabbath, and how the Pharisees viewed it, the Pharisees viewed Jesus healing people as work on the Sabbath. Isn't that wild? That healing someone of a lifelong affliction giving them freedom from pain and misery 
in the eyes of the Jewish leaders, is something that this person should be persecuted for. And this is what happens when you hold law above love. Now, don't misunderstand me. When I, when I say law, I do not mean God's law. We always hold God's law above anything else because God's law is love. The law I'm talking about is the human law, the law that is crafted by human hands, the law that takes God's perfect and loving law and tries to expand on it and make it far more uh, and add more constraints than what God ever did. The Jewish leaders were more concerned with Jesus following their own faulty interpretation of God's law than they were with Jesus showing love to God's creation. Now look at this. Look at how Jesus answers them here. Because they just got done wanting to persecute him. They were you know, out here uh, talking down on the man who was healed. And look at how Jesus answers them in verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So just by healing a man, Jesus, in the eyes of the religious elite, was breaking the Sabbath. But in reality, this is silly. And not even the Pharisees held to their own standard. And Jesus calls them out on this in Matthew 12. This that Jesus calls them out on is the sort of religion and religious actions that we should avoid. The, the, uphold, the, the institution of man-made laws that we then hypocritically ignore when it actually helps us. That's the problem. But look at what Jesus calls them out on in Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, yo, you have all of these restrictions on what it means to quote-unquote work on the Sabbath. You say that you can't even do as little as write a letter on paper. Yet, if one of your animals fell into a pit on the Sabbath, your hypocritical behind would do a bunch of work to get it out, wouldn't you? And of course, the answer is, yes, they would. And Jesus points this out to say, uh, no, I'm not breaking the Sabbath. I'm doing good on the Sabbath. I'm healing people on the Sabbath. If anything, Jesus was helping this disabled man experience the Sabbath for the very first time. Because remember, this disabled man sat by the pool for 38 years, waiting and hoping to get healed. 
And here on the Sabbath day, that man was there hoping he could work his way into the waters to find healing. And here comes Jesus, who heals him, gives him comfort and peace and rest from his afflictions for the first time in 38 years. And it just so happens that he gave him this comfort and rest on the Sabbath day, where this man no longer has to work to try and get into this water to find healing. He no longer has to work himself up on a Sabbath day hoping to get healed. Because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, meaning that for the first time in 38 years, this man was able to truly and fully rest on the Sabbath day. And yet the one who the religious elites condemn is the one who heals him. But the funny part is that Jesus ain't done ticking off the Pharisees. Because not only is he breaking their man-made rules, Jesus is also equating himself with God. And that made them very mad because they viewed that as Jesus making himself equal with God. Jesus said, hey, God's my father. I'm his son. We're working. (laughs) We're working on the Sabbath. Yeah, look at what we're doing. And they viewed that as Jesus making himself equal with God. Now, in the verses to follow, and we'll cover this next week unless my baby's born, (laughs) then it may be a couple weeks from now, but in the next episode, in the verses to follow, Jesus doubles down on this claim that he is the Son of God. And we'll dive into that on the next episode.